Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's give the Lord a high praise and bless them together. Will you join me? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, we can do even better than that. Come on, He is worthy of all the praise. Bless His name. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Smile at somebody on your right or on your left and tell them I'm so happy to see you. I don't know what to do with myself. Go ahead and tell them. I'm happy, happy. As my mother used to say, my happy is happy. (laughs) Amen. We give God praise for you. We certainly honor the presence of the Lord here and to our beloved pastor, Pastor Lance, and all of the pastors and a wonderful family here at Bridgeway. God has been good to us, hasn't he? He has been so good to us. He's been faithful. And uh, before we get into the teaching, I would be remiss without... Uh, mentioning to you that certainly we are praying for our region. We're praying for our community. Let me hear you. Are we praying together for our region? We're praying for our community. We're praying for our region. We're praying for all of those that have been impacted, including the Clark family, the police department, all of those that have been impacted by what is going on in our community over this last year. I believe with all that's within me, and please hear my heart on this, I believe that when God's people pray, come together and have dialogue, even the hard conversations, hearts are transformed. I believe that with all within me. And I would pray that we always would be a courageous family, a courageous church, that we would Stand with those that are hurting, but also stand with those who defend our community. And uh, we're praying that God will touch and God will heal and God will bring hearts of people together. So continue to pray, beloved. Continue to pray. And I want to encourage you to go and build relationships with people outside of your family members or those that are close to you. Build relationships with others so that you can have those conversations so that you can grow together and have understanding. And let's watch God do what he wants to do, because revival has come. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, please, to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Father, we thank you as we go into your word. Would you now open our understanding, give us clarity of thought, continuity of thinking, accuracy of the text. Help us, Father, to go beyond what is comfortable for us, that we might receive everything that you have for us and through us. Thank you for this, your beloved and the dear ones that have come. Now teach us, Father. Holy Spirit, have your way. Guide us, and we'll be careful, Lord, to give you all of the praise and the adoration. This we shall do in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing in our series, The Year of the King. We're in part nine. Pastor Lance has done an extraordinary job at laying some foundation for us, understanding the scriptures that we have been reading and just unveiling some things here in the Old Testament that commonly, if we're not careful, we'll just go past it. We'll look past it and not take time to really understand that you can see Jesus even in the Old Testament. You can see Jesus even in some of the things that are the more difficult passages in which to review. 
So we want to continue that. In fact, I want to talk to you just for a few moments in regards to living the miraculous. Living the miraculous. Living out, living through, living in the miraculous. You have your handouts that you received when you came in. If you'll just take a moment and fill in the blank here. And here's the word that you want to fill in. Here it goes. Nothing is impossible with God. I must be in the wrong church here. Let me try one more time. (laughs) Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There is nothing impossible with God. I need to lay the foundation on this day and just come out the gate swinging. There is nothing that you and I are facing, that you and I are experiencing, whatever challenge it may be, physically, emotionally. Maybe something in need of, uh, someone is here in need of a job or in need of a breakthrough of some type. Let's just start with the fact that you are in the right place because you are in the midst of people who believe that there is nothing that is impossible for our God. He is a living God. He's here right now by His Holy Spirit. You remember as we approach the text that we're going to read that Israel is in a very challenging time because remember it goes back to the fact that they wanted a king it was always God's intent that he would be Israel's only king that their dependency would only be upon him not upon their own strength not upon the strength of man but their dependency would be upon him that he would be their one and only king but they began to react We covered the fact that while under the judges, they were under the leadership of Samuel's two sons, and they were terrible leaders. And as a result of that, the people began to react and say, we want a king like the other nations. The other nations have a king. We want a king. Now, they had a king. God was their king. But they wanted a king. Be careful what you ask for. Because there can be some consequences that can come with the choices that we make. They chose a king. And as a result, there was great division that would come within the kingdom. You would end up having a division. Two, two, in essence, the same people divided up two ways. The, The northern kingdom with ten tribes. And the southern kingdom with two tribes. Pastor Lance, our pastor, brought out to us the understanding that the northern kingdom had all bad kings. Throughout their entire tenure, they had terrible kings. The southern kingdom, remember he shared with us, they had bad kings, good kings, and what's the third one? Complicated kings. It is probably... In my estimation, likely, that is one of the reasons why the northern kingdom would go into captivity first, years before the southern kingdom would, because they were under terrible, ungodly leadership. 
And we find in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find the understanding that God had to remind Samuel. He says, listen, listen to what the people are doing and what they're saying. Go ahead. Go with their plan. But here's the point. I want you to know, Samuel, they're not, watch this, they're not rejecting you, man of God. They're rejecting me. And he goes on to say, even despite the fact all that I have done, all that I have provided for them, I brought them out of Egypt, even up until this time. They are rejecting me. Watch this. Despite my miracles that I utilize to bring them to a place of deliverance. Everything that God did with his interface as king of his people was always, watch this, miraculous. It was always miraculous. Every, all of his interaction, everything that he did, it was always miraculous. And yet they leaned on their own wisdom and on their own understanding. And in essence, God says, they have rejected me. They have rejected me. Can I tell you something? It's important that you understand, no, we don't seek after signs and wonders. Don't ever be a person that just goes after wonders and signs. But please be a man or a woman that goes after a God of signs and wonders. Press into God who yet does the miraculous. It gives us now the background of the story that we're going to start today that gives us the defining moment that reflects back to a period of dire straits. In fact, Jesus mentions it in the New Testament in Luke 4, beginning in verse 16 through 26, where he talks about the woman that we're going to speak of today. Jesus talks about this widow that experienced the miraculous. God did something within her life that was supernatural. Let's define, if we will, just briefly before we read the text in 1 Kings 17, let's define a miracle. And there are many definitions that people can give for a miracle, but here's the one that we will work with today. Write this down. God's kingdom, here's the definition, God's kingdom supernaturally interrupting what appears to be naturally the inevitable outcome. I'm going to say it again like we're on Sesame Street real slow. Here we go. God's kingdom, His rule, His reign, His governance, God's kingdom supernaturally interrupting what appears to be naturally the inevitable outcome. See, there's, there's lots of natural inevitable outcomes. But... When God does a miracle, it supernaturally interrupts it. It supersedes it. The the fact that I'm standing here on this stage before you right now is indicative of the fact that God has supernaturally interrupted something that naturally was inevitable. It was inevitable that I would be one according to the doctors, that would not live to be 15 years of age. It was inevitable, according to the educators, that I would be an underachiever. It was inevitable, according to the speech pathologists, that I would be one who would stutter all of my life. It was inevitable 
that the psychologist said that because I had such a phobia and a fear of people that I would not stand before you. That, that was in the natural. But God supernaturally interrupted that. God supernaturally interrupted that. And, and I submit to you, dear hearts, that he is in the business of interrupting things. Come on, look down your row and just smile at somebody and say, he wants to interrupt some things with you. Go ahead, just look down your row. You're sitting in the right row. He's going to interrupt some things in this row. <laughs> God is in the business of interrupting things. Shifting. Changing. Moving. That's his heart. Let's read our text in First Kings 17. Walk with me through it, if you will. Notice. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is Elijah the prophet. The word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Sidon means fishery. It is a port community. There's supposed to be a lot of water here. Supposed to be a lot of water here. Uh, It means fishery, Sidon. It is... uh, a place where port uh, ships come through and there's trade and so forth. But now remember, there's a famine that has taken place. Three and a half years. There's a famine that has taken place. And this famine has caused everything to be dried up. God speaks to the man of God, to Elijah. He says, Arise. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Watch what God says. This is the Lord speaking. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Behold, I have commanded a widow who's in this place that has been impacted by three and a half years of famine. Or close to. It wouldn't be quite that long because... He would move and go there right in the midst of the famine. Behold, go there. I've commanded a woman there to help provide for you so that you can eat. In other words, God says, I'm about to interrupt some things. Naturally, it is inevitable, man of God, that you would die in the midst of the famine. But I've provided for you. I've got a divine interruption here. And isn't it interesting that it it, it says here, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. In other words, hang out there for a while. There are some things I want to do. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. And he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. Stop. Notice here, God says, Man, go there. And there's someone there that you're going to meet. Can I tell you something? Whenever God through His Holy Spirit speaks to us and tells us something, you will never have to guess if it's going to happen. He keeps His Word. He keeps His Word. If God said it, you know, we often have said in the past there's been an adage that was out for years, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Can I say something to you? If God said it, whether you believe it or not, it's settled. (laughs) It really is. If God said it, His Word will manifest. 
It will happen. It will take place. God spoke to him and said, go here. And there's someone there that you're going to see. That's going to help provide for you. And this woman is there and she's gathering sticks there at the gate. And notice here that he begins to call out to her. When he came to the gate city, she's there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Verse 11. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, here's her response. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and for my son that we may eat it and die. Dire straits here, beloved. Her plan, she awakened that day with the plan to bake this last little bit of meal that she had to feed it to herself and to her son. And her plan was, this is it. There's nothing else that can be done. There's nothing else that can be done. I've done everything that I can do. She probably, for weeks, for months, for years, in the midst of the famine, had done everything she could to stretch the food. To take care of herself. Take care of her child. I think about this when I read this. I think about my beloved mother who raised four boys. I'm the oldest of four. And she raised four of us by herself. And it was amazing to me how she could take a little bit of food and stretch it. I don't know how she got 16 pieces out of one chicken. <laughs> and, and watch this. We, we laugh about it, but we were never hungry. We were all full. It amazes me how she could take milk and mix it up back then with this uh, carnation instant milk. And she'd do half and half. And we, we, we drank for days. God just stretched the food. Just allowed us to be fed. See, God had done this for this woman, but yet she had come to a place. She says, this is all I have. I hear what you're saying, Elijah. I would love to help you out. But all I have is a handful of flour and a little jug of oil. And here, here's my plan. I'm, I'm going to make that and cook that for my boy. I was planning to, you know, eat it with him and eat the cake and, and we were just going to die. But God says, I'm going to interrupt it. I'm going to interrupt this. I, I know that's the natural response, but I want to inter interrupt this. And so notice here, she says, I'm gathering this. We were going to die. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, Watch this. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. You, you, you see, dear hearts, watch what I'm going to tell you here. Isn't it amazing? One of the first things that God has to deal with with us when it comes to doing his work in our lives miraculously and supernaturally, the first thing he has to deal with in our head is getting us to Calm down and not be afraid. Because what happens? This, this, this fear, uh, it, it's a sense of trying to have control of that which we have no control of. And God says, I, I, I want to interrupt this. I, I want to intervene. 
But I need you to take your hands off of it. And stop trying to control it. And stop trying to fix it. And stop trying to think it through. I I, I know you want to help, but God says, get your hands off of it. Get your hands off of it. Allow me to be who you confess that I am. Allow me to be who you state that I am. When people come up to you on your job, they say, God is good. And you automatically respond like a robot all the time. But yet when, it, when the rubber hits the road, do we really believe it? When the challenge comes, do we really believe it? I was sitting with the elders in a meeting this past week. We were in our uh, biweekly elders meeting and, and uh, we were just talking about some things because uh, there, there is some, even as I speak, there are some miraculous supernatural things that are happening for people within our church. I mean, stuff that's unexplainable in the natural. There's one situation that's got doctors just shaking their heads. It's like there's just no way that this should be happening. And and I tell people all the time, I say, you know, they always ask me about you all here at Bridgeway. They they say, so you're up there at Bridgeway. Tell me about them. Tell what are those people like, those people. They talk about you like you're aliens, you know. What What are those people like? And I always say these one, the, the one thing that sticks out to me about this church, I said, I grew up in an atmosphere of the miraculous. I grew up in an atmosphere where people believed God. But the problem was we went so hard after it, we used to mix our works with it. We used to think if I could be good enough, God will bless me. If I can do this, God will bless me. If I can do that, God will bless me. So we worked real hard at it. But I said, what's interesting about the people at Bridgeway, I I said to them, I said, we see more miracles, signs and wonders at Bridgeway by default than some people go after on purpose. We really do. And I believe, this is just my observation, is because of the heart of the people that says, God, it's not in our own power, but it's in what you can do. It's in who you are. And I told the elders in the meeting that we were having this week, I said, elders, I just want to encourage you. And I said, I'm going to tell the church this on Sunday. I'm going to tell them the same thing, is that we've got to stop being just kind of quiet about who we are. We need to act, Bridgeway, who we are. We don't have to be ashamed of being a people who believe that God is able. We don't have to be ashamed to believe that, well, in other words, I don't know what the secret is. We don't have to be quiet and say, well, you know, uh, we, we believe in the supernatural. <laughs> well, you know, we believe, we, we, we believe Jesus still. He still heals today. <laughs> don't tell nobody. But we believe that God will make a way even when it appears to be no way. We need to be exactly who God has called us to be, and we don't have to be quiet about it. In fact, if anything, this region needs to know that the power of God is moving in this house, not just in this house, but beyond its walls. Come on and give God a praise, somebody, in this house. Hallelujah. 
I know some of you say, well, you know, I've never seen a miracle in my life. Can I help you here? You're sitting in one right now. There's no way we should be sitting on this land, this campus, in the natural. But God supernaturally superseded what was the natural circumstances and blessed us to be sitting in this house today so that we could hear some more word of the Lord and be encouraged and go from this place and encourage somebody else. Come on, give God a high praise and bless him in this place. Hallelujah. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you said. But first, make me a mini loaf. Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Now, this really doesn't make sense in the natural. Because she just told him, this is what I'm working with. I've got a handful of flour and a little jug of oil. And then the prophet says... Here's what I want you to do. First, make me a mini loaf. And pretty much everything that she had at her disposal in the natural was all she could do to make the mini loaf. But he says to her, make me a mini loaf. In other words, take all that you have and make me a mini loaf. But then go and do what you were going to do. Make something for yourself and for your son. Y'all, that's faith talking right there. That's faith talking. Because if all she has is a handful of flour and a little jug of oil, all she has, come on y'all, walk with me. All she has is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. And he says, make me something first. Make me a little cake first. Make me a mini loaf first. It means everything that she has, take it and make that for me. But when God gets through with it, You and your son are going to eat too. I'm going to interrupt some things. I'm going to provide. Wherever God guides, he does indeed provide. Whatever he tells you to do, it's on him to fulfill it. And he will keep his word. He says, make me first this little loaf of cake, of bread. Bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. My pastor used to say these words every week. He used to drive me nuts. He used to say, credibility depends on who said it. A whole lot of folks say a lot of things. But if God says it, you can bank on it. You can bank on it. Here's what God says. The Lord says, verse 14, for, the, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. In other words, all throughout this famine, God's going to provide. And notice here, she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Why? Because the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Here's the picture. She did exactly what Elijah told her to do. She went over to start getting the ingredients to make the bread, and she dips the spoon into the flour bin to just, kind of, in her mind, just kind of scrape it up. 
what little was there. But when she dipped it in, y'all, she turned around and put it into the bowl to knead it. And when she puts it in, she just by just look back in. She says, well, I need a little bit more flour here. Let me dip back in here. And she says, well, it's still kind of light here. Let me put a little bit more flour. And the more she dipped, the more flour was there. When she got ready to pour the oil, she was lifting the oil jug up and she thought it would just be maybe just a little cup. She pours the oil and, and all of a sudden oil just starts gushing out. She says, oh, I'm going to mess up my recipe. <laughs> and the oil just kept coming. And the next day, the oil and flour was there. And the next day, the oil and flour was there. The next day, more oil and flour was there. The next day, more oil and flour was there. God kept providing. And she... The prophet and her son were able to eat. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. God did this miracle indeed. God did this miracle. Did you you catch the latter part here? That it says, according to the word of the Lord, that he spoke by Elijah. Here's my question. When did the miracle begin? Was it instant or was it progressive? See, that's the question I want you to ponder in your mind for a moment. Because most would argue it was an instantaneous miracle. And I believe God does do some instantaneous miracles. I've seen Him do some things instantly. But I also have seen Him do some things progressively. And I argue that this miracle that you see happening here is progressive. Why would you say that? Because remember, the miracle doesn't begin when she dips her spoon in the barrel to get the flour or when she begins to pour the oil. The miracle begins when God told the man of God, go because I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Oh, come on, walk slow with it. You're going to get it in a minute. It's going to click. It's going to click. Because some of us want instant. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are miracles that God will do instantly. There are signs and wonders that God can do instantly. But I need some of you to be encouraged with the progressive miracles that he is doing in your life. It does, listen, your breakthrough, your miracle does not begin when you can see it. Your breakthrough, your miracle does not begin when you get the doctor's report back. Your miracle, your breakthrough doesn't come back or happen immediately necessarily when you look at your credit score. It's not that God will jump in the, in the computer and change the credit score from 100 to 700. It may take some time, but when God speaks it, no matter how long it takes, it's on its way. And you can give God praise. You can glorify him even while you're waiting for the manifestation. Can I say something to you? I want to encourage somebody way over in this back section here. Let me just encourage you. God has commanded a miracle for you. There, God has commanded a word for you that has been spoken out. And it doesn't matter what the lab report says. It doesn't matter what the credit score says. It doesn't matter with what you see with your natural eye. There is something that is working in the spirit realm. And if you can just trust God, timing will manifest it. Timing will show you how faithful our God is. Man, I feel like preaching today. Hallelujah. Just obey God. 
What hinders the miraculous from manifesting in our life? Write these three things down, if you will, please. What, what hinders the miraculous from manifesting in our lives? Number one, doubt and unbelief. You want to squash the miraculous around you? Where there's doubt and where there's unbelief. Where there's doubt and where there's unbelief. It will squash an atmosphere of the miraculous. Can I say something to you? That's why the man of God had to say to the woman, don't fear. Don't fear. Because doubt is eating you up. Unbelief is eating you up. See, I submit to you, dear hearts, we don't need more faith. You've heard me say this before. Everybody says, oh, I want more faith. I need more faith. I just need more faith. No, you don't. You need less unbelief. It only takes a little bit of faith. It doesn't take a lot of faith. You just have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. It can manifest what needs to happen. But when you're sitting here and you're stressing out and you're worrying about things and you got what I call stinking thinking, it's going to hinder the miraculous in your life. You don't need more faith. You need less unbelief. Most of you know I'm an, an alumnus of Oral Roberts University. I went to Oral Roberts University some 30 years ago. And first thing I noticed when I went to the campus, I don't know, any, any of y'all ever been to Tulsa? If you don't make it to heaven, at least go to Tulsa. And uh, <laughs> at, least, at least get to Tulsa. And... Uh, I remember going to Oral Roberts University, and although I don't prescribe to everything theologically that he necessarily believed, there are some things that he taught me. And one of the things he taught me when I first got to the campus, I noticed that the buildings were humongous. I mean, they were just massive buildings, things that you would not even imagine being built back in the 60s. Very extraordinary architectural design. And when you walk on the campus, you literally, it causes you to look up. You're just constantly looking around and looking up. You're in awe at what you're seeing. And I remember President Roberts, he was living at the time when I was attending the school. He was president of the school. And he said, I built these buildings like this because I wanted my students to always allow themselves to look up and have their faith arise. I wanted their faith to arise. And I'm going to tell you, I needed to hear that, especially with a 2.0 grade point average. You understand what I'm saying? I needed to have my faith <laughs> arise. But then he said something that has stuck with me even to this day. He told us this for years. He said, every day you either have miracles coming towards you or past you. Every day there are miracles either coming towards you or past you. And it's depending on whether or not you receive whether you open your hearts in a posture of receiving. What hinders the miraculous from manifesting? Doubt and unbelief. Second, passivity. Passivity. Being passive with this. Well, you know, we just really never know what the will of the Lord is. Well, you know, my, I heard that Margie's got cancer. And you know, she's got the same cancer that my Aunt Angerona had, and she died. And, you know, you know, I just don't know if God can do this. That will always put you into a place of for sure not receiving. See, I just live with the expectation. I tell people, if you ask me to come to the hospital and pray for you, I'm not coming to give the last rites. I don't care what 
Medical science has said. I don't believe it's over till it's over. And even then for the believer, it ain't over. You understand what I'm saying? I, I just believe that God does these things. I've, I've prayed for people all of my life. I've laid hands on people all of my life. I've seen signs and wonders and miracles all of my life. And yet, I've also experienced what it's like to hold my mother in my arms and pray that God would heal her and bring a miracle and watched her die in my arms and wondered, God, I know you're able. I know you can do this. I know you could have healed her. But why did she die? And the Lord's had to remind me that first and foremost, the worst thing, I preached this at her funeral in front of a thousand plus people. I preached this. I said, the worst thing that could have happened to Ira E. Lovelace is not that she died 17 years ago. It's not that she died. The worst thing that could have happened would be that she would die not knowing the Lord. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because how many would admit the greatest miracle is the fact that God can take a heart that was darkened by sin and transform it and bring it into abundant life? That's the greatest miracle. Doubt and unbelief will hinder the miraculous from manifesting. Passivity will hinder the miraculous from manifesting. And here's another one. Disobedience. Disobedience. For you see, beloved, faith, faith, according to Hebrews 1, Verses 1 through 3 is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their accommodation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And without faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he is, that he exists. And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Doubt, passivity, and disobedience will hinder us from living the miraculous. Faith is simply trusting and obeying, working in tandem. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust. God provided for this woman. Oil kept pouring. Flour kept pouring. You would think we could just end the story here and it's just wonderful. Let's all go home and just shout it out. No. Something happens. Even the same text I just read or referenced in Hebrew speaks about faith cause women to receive their children from the dead. It's a direct reference to this passage. Continuing on, verse 17. And after the son, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. God just finished working a miracle, but her son dies. Verse 18. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Isn't that how so many of us think? We think that bad things happen because we've done bad stuff. We think that God is out to get us. That's not the God we serve. That's not his heart, beloved. That is not how God thinks towards us. 
She says, these things have happened because of my sin. Is there anybody besides myself that was glad that we received communion today that reminded us, reminded us that it's not the work that we've done, it's the work that Jesus has done. It's not our goodness, it's His goodness. It's not how right we are, it's how right He is. Hallelujah. She says, you, you brought this upon me because of my sin. And He said... He said to her, he cried out, and he says to her, take, take him, give me your son. And he took him in her arms, from her arms, and carried the boy up into the upper chamber where he lodged, and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Notice here, he's struggling even in his own faith. He's struggling even in what he's experiencing for the moment. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. Now, some have asked, why three times? I don't know. <laughs> I heard somebody preach this once and they said, well, he said, he did it three times for the Trinity. One for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. I said, really? Really? Let's not read more into the text. Come on. It, it, we don't know. We don't know. That's just like the person who says, I'm going to get a car this week and I'm going to march around that car seven times because I'm going to believe God's going to provide that car. Now, I'm not knocking it if you do. (laughs) I'm not knocking it. But let me say this. God doesn't need your formulas. He needs your faith. He wants your faith. He wants your trust. He wants our obedience. He doesn't need us to do formulas, one, two, three, and that's it. It's, it's a daily lifestyle of saying, Lord, I trust you. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to walk through this. But God, I trust you. I know you're able. Let's finish it up. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Verse 22. Oh, I love that. I love that. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. That's why we pray. And the life of the child came back to him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Could you imagine her face? She just was making funeral arrangements for her son. And the man of God comes back and said, here, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are the man of God. And here it is again, that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. The word of the Lord is in your mouth. What sets an atmosphere for miraculous living? Write these down. Living with daily expectations. Daily expectations. We sing a song as children. I anticipate the inevitable, supernatural intervention of God. I'll expect a miracle. I expect a miracle. I expect a miracle. Every day. Every day. I'm living it out. Number two, living as available conduits of God's grace. Give somebody a high five and say, I'm a conduit of a miracle. Go ahead and give them a high five. Tell them I'm a conduit of the miraculous. Come on, Elijah and Elijah. (laughs) Number three, living with active obedience to the Lord. Living with active obedience to the Lord. I didn't share this. On last night, I'm going to share it just with you all real quick, as quick as I can. 
Several years ago, when my mother was living, she had shown up at church. She was an invalid woman, so she walked with a walker. And uh, as she got older, she would walk with this walker. She would come to church, usually pretty much on time. But this one particular Sunday, we were in a little small church in Rancho Cordova. She was running late, and I got concerned, and I know where she was. Well, later she found out that she was sitting there and getting ready to go out the door to head to the church. And she said that the Holy Spirit told her to wait five minutes before she walked out of the door. She was very precise at listening to the Holy Spirit. She said the Holy Spirit just told her just to wait five minutes before going out. And she thought maybe it was some type of traffic catastrophe or something that she was avoiding or what have you. Well, she shows up at church late, and she pulls in the, the parking lot. When she pulls in the parking lot, she's sitting in the car, and she looks in the mirror, the little side view mirror. And as she looks in, there's a car that's directly across the parking lot in which a man is sitting there. And she noticed that as she watched him, all of a sudden he just was slumped over over the steering wheel. And this woman, my mother, got out of the car and she walks across the parking lot with a walker now. She, she gets across the parking lot to the car. And she's about to reach over to open up the door to see if she can get into the man that was slumped over the steering wheel. And she can't get into the car because she's just not able physically to reach in and do what she needs to do. So what she does, watch this, what she does... She says, to this day, people, I, I used to ask her, why did you do that? And she, she, she would not be able to give a full explanation. She said, for some reason, she went to the front hood of the car and stood in front of the car and put her hands like this to just hold the car there. Some men came out of the church. They ran out and saw this woman with a walker standing there holding the car like this in her church suit, her church outfit. And she's holding the car. They rush in and pull the man out of the car. The man was having a full-blown seizure. They bring him out of the car and call 911 start treating him. Then they reach over and they grab Mother Lovelace, my mother, and they sit her down and what have you. And she's all out of breath and she's sitting down there. And so then I went over to the men that pulled the man out of the car. And I said, man, that's amazing how a mother was able to hold a car that was in neutral. It's amazing because she's an invalid woman holding the, this. And this, I said, that's amazing she was able to do that. They said, Bishop, the car wasn't in neutral. The car was in drive. And she's sitting there holding it. And the car's in drive. They said, we had to switch the gear back to park. Y'all, and the man got taken to the hospital, is alive today. He testifies about it. Those security officers that were those men who ran out of the church, they testify about it. God supernaturally interrupted something that was naturally in it. Come on, y'all. Y'all ain't that slow. It pays to be obedient to God. I know it was God and his angels that held that car. That woman who was in her 60s at the time was just the vessel, the conduit of the miraculous. There's someone here. You need God to interrupt some things. You have done everything you know to do in your own strength and in the natural, and it's just... If God doesn't do it, it cannot be done. It cannot be done. For your family, for your, for your body, for your children, for your co-worker. 
you need a miracle. No, better yet, you need the God of miracles. And he's here. I want to do this very quickly. I, I, I have to follow the leading of God's spirit in this room just for a few moments. And then we're going to go. I want someone in here that needs a supernatural interruption in your life or for a co-worker or for a family member or for your child right where you're sitting would you just stand to your feet I want to agree with you in prayer just stand to your feet wherever you are in this auditorium I'm not going to call you up front but you just need when you leave out of here you need to say I prayed and I called upon God because I need him to do something on this I need an intervention. We need an intervention. Our family, our house needs an intervention. My coworker, he needs an intervention. She's going through some things right now that we need God to do a breakthrough. We need God to do this. Stand to your feet right now. And then secondly, I want everybody that's sitting to kind of look around you, if you will. Look all around you. Look around this room. Look around your area. Look behind you. Look in front of you, on the side of you. Look around you. You that are sitting, look around you. I need some Elijahs and some Elijahettes to quickly jump to your feet and go to anyone that's standing in this room. Quickly jump to your feet and go to anyone that is standing. If you're here and you see someone standing in your vicinity, please go to them. And as you go to them, go to them with, with a heart of openness, a heart of compassion, a heart of love, a heart of concern. I've got some folks here in the front that need some people to run up here real quick with them. Come on. Don't, don't leave anybody untouched. Don't leave anybody untouched. And would you take a moment, and I want you just maybe even ask them, how can I agree with you today? How can I pray with you today for your breakthrough? And, and I want you to do, open your mouths, and I want you to pray for people. Just take a moment and pray for the person that has stood that needs a breakthrough. Go ahead. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Step right into it. Come on. Let's just open our mouths and begin to intercede and pray and believe God. Come on, Bridgeway. Let's be who God designed us to be. A people of prayer. A people of the supernatural. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's it. Let them hear you praying. Let them, let them hear you speaking words of hope and life. Everything's going to be all right. Strength has come. Joy is coming back. God's got this. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God's got you. You deserve the glory. And the honor, Lord, we lift our hands and worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. 
There is no one else like you. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like. Come on, let's just lift our hands now and just receive all that God has for us, all in this house. Hallelujah. Come on, you are great. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. Prayer team, will you come and stand in the front? There is no one else like you. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like... One more time. You are great. Lord, you are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no We give you praise, Lord. We glorify your name. Mm, There is no one else like you. We magnify your name. Hallelujah. We extol you and exalt you, Jesus. The same yesterday and forevermore. There is no one else. Now say these words with me boldly. Repeat after me. Nothing is impossible for God. And I decree and declare without hesitation. Our God is a mighty an awesome God. Give him the best praise. Get on out of here. The prayer team's up here. If you need prayer, come on up.